0: Thank you very much. Just as Neil said, I'm fresh back from Kathmandu in Nepal, and uh, I bring greetings from King's Church Kathmandu to you all. Thank you very much for all, all those who prayed for us. We were very blessed, and the church, I trust, was blessed through us as well as the children homes that we visited. And the church is in good heart there, growing slowly, looking for new premises, looking for bigger premises, of which we're a part of that search as well, and hopefully... As things will unfold during the course of the next year or so, they'll be able to get premises which are more suitable for the growth that they are seeing. Anyway, massive greetings from them. As Neil said, I'm continuing our series on the origins of suffering, and I'm going to be basing it around Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. And it's the story of, part of the story of Adam and Eve and what happens to them as they disobey God's command now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the snake we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, "'Who told you that you were naked? "'Have you eaten from the tree "'from which I commanded you not to eat?' "'The man said, "'The woman you put here with me, "'she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it.' "'Then the Lord God said to the woman, "'What is this you have done?' "'The woman said, "'The snake deceived me, and I ate.' "'So the Lord God said to the snake, "'Because you have done this, "'cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals.' And to dust, you will return. So that's uh, the word of God. In the news recently, there's been some concern about artificial intelligence. Short, short cut to that is AI. Artificial intelligence being used as a weapon in warfare. You know, these uh, robots and uh, things that fly and all drones and all that kind of stuff. Uh, It's nothing new though. In the science uh, fiction novel, I, Robot, and a series of stories that Isaac Asimov wrote in 1942, he proposed three laws for robots so that they wouldn't go haywire, they wouldn't cause destruction. Here is the first law. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. So the robot would be programmed to function along those lines, and it couldn't function outside those lines. That was the second law. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So the robot's got to do as it's told, unless it conflicts with the first law of harming others. Third law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Now, okay, you may not have followed all of that. But nevertheless, the point is that the robot is programmed to function in such a way that it doesn't do any harm to any human being or itself. That was the idea behind it. So the robot would have no choice in the matter because that's the way it would be programmed. When God made us, he didn't make us. As robots, but made us, as the story clearly tells us, with the ability to choose. So our choices matter. As in the story, our choices can have both good and bad outcomes. The Genesis story that I've just read tells us that humankind, as represented by our first parents, Adam and Eve, and the Apostle Paul goes into this in some detail about how we were in Adam. And now, if we follow Jesus, we're now in Christ. So, that Adam perfectly represented our, us in that garden, in that story that I just read. So, when he did those things that he did and disobeyed God's holy command, the Apostle Paul tells us that we were actually in Adam when that happened. So, Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose badly, they rejected God in favor of choosing evil. And there were consequences which we're still living out today. Here are some of the main consequences. One, there was shame. There was a loss of innocence. There were barriers in human relationships. Verse seven says they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So where there was no shame, now shame entered the world. Another thing that entered was fear. Verse 10, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So fear now enters in, shame enters in, fear enters in, deceit enters in. The serpent deceived me, verse 13, and I ate. So the capacity to believe a lie as if it were the truth. Conflict enters in, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. So there's going to be conflict comes into the world as well. Then there's going to be frustration. Instead of being harmony in the created order, bad things are going to appear. The creation is going to be disjointed, cursed, verse 17, is the ground because of you. Pain is going to enter in, verse 16, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Verse 17, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So there's this obnoxious cocktail of things which are now going to enter into the world that were never there before in the beginning death is going to enter verse 19 until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return so that sense of death that illness even which is a decaying of the body which is a misfunctioning of the body ultimately showing itself in death all that's going to enter in it's a very sorry tale This is the background, having said that, to all the suffering that goes on on planet Earth. But suffering is not simply an interesting subject to discuss, to debate, or even to preach about. In some way or another, every single person here has been touched with suffering in some shape or form. Whether it's at the hands of someone else, victims of abuse, Infidelity in marriage. Someone crashes into your car. Or maybe it's due to our own actions. I say hurtful things to you. I lie to you. I steal from you. Or circumstances beyond our control. I'm bullied at work. I'm bullied at school. Or the death of someone we love. Or war breaks out in extreme circumstances. You know, suffering touches everybody. Christians are not exempt from suffering. And I must say, I have some pet hates, and one of my pet hates is this. When I see on Facebook things like uh, nice scriptures, that says, amen if you want to have a good day. Click amen, or click like if you want to be blessed. Yuck. I really don't like that. Or the theology that if we tick all the correct faith boxes, we're going to just prosper in life. Now, there's an element I realize of, you know, we give to the Lord and the Lord is no man's debtor and he always gives us back. He gives us back in a variety of different ways. I appreciate that. But if we think that we're gonna be exempt from suffering in the world, then we're very mistaken. We've got a wrong theology. Suffering is part of the Christian experience, in fact. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, when he talks about suffering, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Wow, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. I guess if I said to you, okay, this morning, at the end of my sermon, what Neil's going to do, he's going to say, okay, we're going to pray for you this morning. All those who want to suffer, please come out to the front, and we're going to pray that you will have an anointing of suffering this week. I don't think there would be many takers for that somehow. But here the Apostle Paul is saying that suffering can produce something good in us. I get It's not automatic, though, but as we seek God in the midst of our suffering, something happens inside us. We can actually get stronger, strange as it may seem. So God can use suffering, sometimes in very mysterious ways that we don't understand, to shape us. And today, I'm not going to have all the answers here. You may have questions about your suffering, and sometimes there are no adequate answers. For example... Why my first daughter never lived to see her first birthday? I'll never see her take her first steps. I'll never hear her first words. I'll never see her go down the slide in the park. I'll never walk her to school. I'll never see her blossom into a young woman. Why? I don't know. I don't know. So this is not simply an academic subject. This is not simply a theological exercise. This is something that I trust in the end will help us through the things that we suffer. So I'm going to say three things this morning. Suffering due to human choices. Suffering due to living in a broken world. Suffering due to death. Three mayors I'm going to focus on this morning. The first one, suffering due to human choices. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe it's possible to have free choices and not have suffering? If you were programmed like a robot with no choice in the matter, perhaps that might be so. But that's not how we're made. We're made with the ability to choose. When you got up this morning, presumably you chose what you were going to wear. You chose if you were going to have breakfast. You chose what time you were going to leave. You chose many things already just this morning. We're made, the tree in the garden represents the fact that we can choose to go God's way of peace and harmony or our own way, which leads to death and evil. And much suffering, we have to say, is caused by the fact that human beings have freedom of choice. A lot of suffering is caused because humans have freedom of choice. So for example, someone goes out, they decide to drink, one, two more, few more, few more, they get in their car and then they kill someone. As they drive and lose control suffering caused by human choice the only way to have free choice and no suffering is that people always choose to do what was in the best interests of others even that would be a problem how do we decide that in order for that kind of suffering to cease we would either have to have no choice or get rid of all those who cause suffering to others so either we have no choice or we get rid of those who cause suffering to others okay let's say we do that Let's get rid of all those people who cause suffering to others. Right. Where are we going to draw the line? Okay, let's start, shall we? Let's say, let's get rid of all those tyrants who, who bring us into war. Let's get rid of the Hitlers of this world, okay? Because they cause a lot of evil. We'd agree about that. Let's get rid of them. Does that mean there'll be no more evil in the world? No, no. Okay, let's go down maybe to the next level if you like. Let's get rid of the murderers. All those who commit murder. Let's get rid of them. Is that going to solve the problem of suffering? No. Okay, let's get rid of drug pushers. Let's get rid of them, because they cause untold suffering. Is that going to solve the problem? Okay, let's go down maybe a level if you like. Let's get rid of the burglars and the shoplifters, the thieves. Let's get rid of them. How about that? Let me ask you a question. Another question. Have you ever caused anybody else to suffer? Maybe it's not simply through what you've said or done. Maybe it's through what you've failed to do. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? And two people walked by. They had the power to do good, but they failed to do it. And they prolonged that man's suffering because they did so. Have you ever said anything that has wounded someone else? You know, eventually what would happen is I would be deemed, (laughs) I'd be deemed the worst person in the world, I have to get rid of me. You'd be deemed the worst person in the world. We have to get rid of you, and in the end, there'll be nobody left. Well, maybe one person, Christ himself. So suffering can be caused through human choice. Second thing, suffering due to living in a broken world. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So, through sin, the whole creation is in a state of having what I would describe as a terminal chronic heart condition. It's working, the world is working. You know, we can predict things sunrise, sunset, tides, phases of the moon. There's a predictability about what goes on in creation. However, Adam's sin caused the whole creation to groan as a curse came upon the ground. The so-called natural disasters are an element of that that we see. Earthquakes, volcanic explosions, hurricanes, tsunamis. But are they evil in and of themselves? We could ask that question. Or are they simply natural phenomena? They're simply natural phenomena. However, try saying that to someone whose family may have been buried under rubble in an earthquake. And you won't get very far. The creation is groaning. And sometimes human failure can contribute to human suffering. So, a simple illustration of that might be I decide I'm going to build my house on a floodplain by a river. And then torrential rain comes down it pours, down it pours, down it pours, and the river overflows its banks. And before I know it, there's a river flowing through my house. So, sometimes human Failure can contribute to so-called natural phenomena. But there's no doubt that powerful, dangerous, natural phenomena contribute to human suffering. So why doesn't God put a stop to them? I guess if he did, he would have to suspend the laws of physics so that they applied haphazardly. We wouldn't know where we stand if that were the case. So Isaac Newton's third law of motion says this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Now, I'm no physicist here, but my understanding is this. If this law were to be abolished, we wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't be able to walk, for my foot is pressing back, but my motion is forward. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And if that was suspended, we wouldn't be able to move there's a consistency in other words, is what i'm saying a predictability in creation that we rely upon so for example how many of you had a cup of tea this morning or a coffee or something or boiled a kettle or yeah boiled something okay in the last week how many of you have done that let's see if we can get all hands up in the last month in the last year how many of you boiled something okay a few have all right okay well we rely on the fact that water boils at a certain temperature Not only that, but we rely on the fact that when we pick the kettle up and we pour the water into the cup, that gravity is actually going to function and that the water will actually go in the cup. If the laws of nature were suspended in a haphazard manner, without that predictability, we simply couldn't live. Having said all that, it doesn't lessen the pain that these natural events may cause. However, I think it's a misnomer to call them acts of God. As if somehow God was willing them into being. God was willing human suffering. Far from it. But let's not think that God is indifferent to what happens in his creation. He's not indifferent. Far from it. <laughs> he sees the sparrow fall. But even more importantly, he enters into it himself and experiences what it means to suffer. The Word made flesh. Christ comes. And Christ experiences for himself what it means to suffer. He suffers at the hands of his family, for example. He's gone out of his mind. He's gone crazy. He needs locking up. He suffers at the hands of his immediate community. They want to throw him to his death off a cliff. He suffers at the hands of his immediate friendship group. Abandoned by his best friends at his time of need. Betrayed by Judas. He suffers at the hands of his people group. We have no king but Caesar. He suffers at the hands of foreign invaders. The soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross and gambled to see who would get his clothes. He suffered physically. He suffered spiritually. But... He did it for the joy set before him. He trusted in the Father through his suffering. And this is a key point. Tim Keller says this, Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Now surely if we follow Jesus, we are sure that God is for us. And with us. Can you say that with confidence? When you look at your life, when you look at the circumstances that you face, you personally, can you say, I'm certain that God is for me and with me? Can you say that with a certainty? Because it is true. It is true. The danger is this, that we let our feelings and our circumstances inform our theology. What we go through can affect how we see God. Should be the other way around. How we see God should affect how we go through things in life. God cared. We, We sometimes say, if God cared, then this would not have happened. If God loved me, then why are we going through this? Like I said earlier, I don't know. But I do know this, that God is for you. And God is with you. And Jesus understands what we go through. So there's a suffering due to human choices. There's a suffering due to living in a broken world. And there's a suffering due to death. And illness is part of that. The failure of the body, if you like. See, why do do we think that suffering is a problem at all? If we've just come out of some primordial soup, as some people say, if there was just some kind of anonymous big bang a long time ago, and life just by chance happened to come out of some gooey swamp, some gooey mush, and we kind of developed down through the millennia, down through the billions of years, then why is death a problem? We have, you have to say, an instinctive sense that things are wrong. We realize that things are not the way they should be. We realize that death shouldn't be here. We have an instinctive sense of that. And actually, before Adam and Eve fell, it wasn't there. And actually, we're going to a point where it won't be again. But we're living through difficult times. We find death so painful because it shouldn't be here. It's like some drunken job has gate crushed our party. It's like a train is being driven off the rails, and the resulting destruction illustrates what's happened through Adam. Adam was driving the train, and we were in Adam, and he drove it off the rails into destruction. He drove it off the rails into suffering. And we're part of that too. Death should not be part of what's going on on planet Earth, but it is because of human failure and human disobedience to God. Christ himself realized that death should not be part of what's going on. He grieved before the tomb of Lazarus. He himself tasted death so that death would not have the final word. Jesus has got the train back on the rails and we can know eternal life as a result. There's hope for the whole creation to be released from its bondage to decay. Suffering, whatever suffering you may be going through, whatever suffering you experience in your life, it need not have the final word in your life. Why? Because we're heading somewhere and God is with us in it. Do you think he's going to abandon you because times have got hard? Do you think he's going to abandon you because of what you're going through? Of course not. Emmanuel, God is with us, not only, and He is the great God who understands understands what we go through, and there 's hope for the whole creation to be released from its bondage to decay, as Neil said earlier, I recently came back, in fact, it was Thursday morning from Kathmandu, and I was speaking at a conference there, among other things, and as part of the conference, there was a presentation of Various, uh, some of the young people, some of the children, some of the adults, they did some singing, they did some dancing, and it was really sweet, really lovely. And two of the girls, teenagers they were, did a dance to a Nepali song. And I was sitting near the back of the church and I was listening. I couldn't understand much of the song. I suspected it was Christian because I heard the word Jesus Christ in it. I thought, this is a Christian song. And uh, but what I did detect was this. I detected it was a very happy song. It was a very happy song. And I had one of those unexpected moments that sometimes the Lord gives me from time to time as I sat there and I wanted to dance. I really did. I was tapping my shoe. You know what it's like if you've got a nice tune, you're tapping your shoe and you're kind of maybe just moving gently in your chair. And, but I didn't want to do I wanted to get up and dance. I really did. But I thought, no, you can't do that. You just make a fool of yourself because you're not a very good dancer. And uh, so I kind of resisted that, if it was a temptation, I don't know. I resisted that opportunity to get up and dance. Uh, But as I sat there, I was tapping my foot and all this kind of stuff. And and then I had a, if you like, I don't know, a revelation. I had a revelation that one day we're all going to get up and dance. One day the music is going to be so irresistible you know, even the, the most I don't know least likely of people in this auditorium, and you might consider yourself one of them. I'm never gonna, certainly never going to dance here. No, no, no. I wouldn't dream of dancing in a public. No, no, no. I go to a wedding and I don't dance. I sit in the other back and I avoid dancing at all costs. And I must admit, I'm a little bit like that. But you know, we're all going to get up and dance. And as I was thinking that, I was just. Really moved incredibly emotionally. I was so moved because I felt the Lord saying to me, Not only that, not only are you all going to get up and dance, but the whole creation is going to get up and dance to the music that's going to be there. And Jesus is going to be at the center of it. And I was so thrilled by that. And I was reminded of when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey. And uh, the religious leader said to his disciples, be quiet, because they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. And uh, Jesus said, if they were quiet, even the stones along the road would start crying out. So this is where we're heading. We're heading for the release of the whole creation, the restoration of all things through Christ. Death finally thrown into the lake of fire. So suffering will not have the final word. And you can say that in your life. And I can say that in my life. With the things that I have experienced, the things that I have suffered, it will not have the final word in my life. Christ will have the final word. And one day, we're all going to get up. And we're all going to dance. And the whole creation is going to be joining in. The trees of the field will clap their hands, it says in the book of Isaiah. The trees of the field will clap their hands. I always thought that was metaphorical. Well, maybe it isn't metaphorical. Maybe they are going to clap their hands. Who knows? It's going to be glorious. That much I do know suffering due to death, but death will not have the final word because Jesus has conquered death. Now, finally, when we're talking about suffering and people are saying things us, we do need a sensitivity to what people are going through. It was interesting that Tim earlier quoted from the book of Job, or he mentioned the book of Job, 42 chapters about suffering, really. And Job suffered tremendously. If you've never read the, book, read the book of Job, please read it. It's great. It's really challenging. And so Job suffers a lot. And his friends come. And they see that Job is suffering. And for seven days, what do they do? They do nothing. They sit with him. What do they say? They say, nothing. Nothing. Wow, that was wise. That was very wise. The first mistake was when they started to give him advice. The first mistake was where they started to tell him where he'd gone wrong. And it went downhill from then on. So we need a sensitivity when people are going through suffering. God has given us two ears and one mouth. The problem was when they started to speak. They tried to, do, to make the experience of suffering like some mathematical equation. If X, then Y. But it's not as simple as that. The resurrection of Christ is but the beginning of a new age in which all suffering will be gone. I want to ask you a question. Are you suffering? Are there things that you're going through in your life that you say, I would rather not be going through this? If there was a door that I could walk through and get out of this, I would be there in a jiffy. Well, a few things I'd like to advise us to do if you're going through suffering and you may already be doing them and if you are, bless you. Take your pain to the Lord, first of all, as he understands. Bring all and just be real with him. You don't need to polish up your prayers. You don't need to get your cloth out and ah, make it look nice. No, no, no. Just tell the Lord exactly what you feel, exactly what you're experiencing, exactly what you're going through. Take it to Jesus. Jesus. Second thing I would say is find a godly friend or friends who will stand with you in what you're suffering. People of good character, people that you trust, people who've got some history in Jesus that you trust as well. Get them alongside you. Stand in the community of God's people, and that's going to help you. Are we going to know all the answers? No. Will we know all the answers one day? I'm not sure we'll need to. I've got some questions. And sometimes I think, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord, why did that, I go go through that, why did that happen? Actually, I'm not sure that I'm going to ask any of those questions when I get to heaven. I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, yeah, okay, wow. (laughs) All I need to know is, in your face, Jesus, in your loving eyes, and in your warm embrace, all my questions will just dissolve, I'm sure. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who does not distance himself from suffering. You yourself came to planet Earth, and if anybody suffered, it was you. Father, help us, uh, forgive us when we blame you, and we blame you for what we're going through, because you love us. <laughs> you love us with a tender-heartedness. And Father, those things, there are things we just don't understand. Why? Why did that happen? Why am I going through this? I don't know. We want to bring our why questions to you, Lord Jesus. We ask that the Holy Spirit, and I pray for those who are maybe going through difficult times right now, I pray the Holy Spirit will come, Father. Come and just reassure them, Jesus, right now, of your love for them. Reassure them. That. I pray the peace of God will come upon them right now. Come, Holy Spirit. We walk through this world not on our own, but we walk through this world with you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a solemn promise that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. So we want to say thank you, Jesus. Into your hands we commit our lives afresh. Amen.